So this is our second day of intention walking, intention setting, uh, daily intention building, sigil creation, and over time a grimoire of sorts of affecting change on the world outside by creating that change first on the inside. What some may call magic, what some call manifesting, the law of attraction, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, yesterday I kind of left off with stepping back from the, the intention aspect of things and looking at the cornerstone or the foundation of what I think all of our <clears throat> intention setting winds up being about is our value set. Um, and something I've wrestled with and I think that many people would try and ha have tried to, to, to pose an argument with but uh, the more I feel into it, the more the more real it becomes to me every day. And that is, is that we have, as human beings, while we may be all different and raised differently and have different traditions and religions and all different varied kinds of beliefs and cultures and customs and mores and all that stuff, when it all boils down to it, we all have certain basic human needs. Um, Maslow did a, a fairly good job at breaking down it in, in, a, in a pyramid. It's almost like a hierarchical thing, but it's, in reality it's more of a bottom-up kind of a thing. And he puts the physical at the bottom, of course, and then the, the spiritual, the transcendent at the top. Um, we talked about yesterday, uh, Marshall Rosenberg. He has a list of universal needs. Uh, he breaks them down into, like, he's got a whole huge list of them. I want to say it's page 54 in the Nonviolent Communication book. Um, but he breaks them down into some basic groups and we all need autonomy celebration integrity interdependence physical nurturance play and spiritual communion and and I like all of those and and I like his breakdown um it really kind of hones in on on those aspects of life that we all have in common. And speaking of that word common, uh, I like to point out that these are not stereotypes about people. So when we talk about everybody shares food or, you know, everybody needs love or everybody poops, you know, these are not, we're not stereotyping people by saying these things. These are commonalities. These are things that every single human being has in common, no matter where you go, no matter who you talk to, 
this will apply to every single human being in the world. So these are powerful things because if you want to really, you know, make change that affects everyone, if you focus on these aspects of who we are, you'll get everybody. Anyways, so don't look at them as stereotypes. Again, stereotypes generally get cast in a negative sense. These are our commonalities. And in many senses, these are our superpowers. These are the things that make us great. All right, so I also mentioned yesterday, and I said his name incorrectly. I said Tim Robbins. It's Tony Robbins, if I'm not mistaken. He has a list of his six universal needs. And it's basically it's the exact same thing as what Marshall Rosenberg said, but different categorizations. It still encompasses everything he said, but uh, he looks at it from a different perspective, which I like that. That's uh, probably why I'm drawn to it. So he says, hold on a second. Consistency and inconsistency. Terrence McKenna calls that, I mean, he reduces everything down to those two things, but he calls it habit and novelty. I like that. These two things don't necessarily always balance each other out in the sense of 50-50, but they do balance each other out. It is often what we would say, it's, it's like safety and adventure you know we all need to have that safety of home but we like to go hiking for adventure on the weekends you know um significance love and connection growth and contribution now the one thing that i felt like within Tony's list. I don't want to say that it's like it's left out, but I don't think it's emphasized enough that Marshall hones in on, and that was play. Um, I do see where it could fit, where it does fit into uh, the universal, the six universal needs, possibly in that love and connection and in that growth aspect there. But, uh, it's 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 more subtle and I, and I and I think it deserves its own place at the table so to speak um, excuse my sinuses anyways so the thing about values is these are common to all of us and and not only are they common to all of us every single thing that we do within our day every day every movement we make in our day-to-day -day lives is at its core an attempt to satisfy one of those needs. So, depending on our environment, certain ones of those needs are going to be more abundant than others. Just, just the way it always is. And it's that differences between those needs, the abundance of those needs that creates our values. Like the more you have of something in your current environment, it's not that you value it less or more. 
it's that you've placed a priority on other needs and so those are the ones that you tend to like focus on more because you don't have to worry about let's say within our culture and society um if you know you're middle class white bread type of person you're generally speaking not worrying about food you're not worrying about your your consistency and inconsistency you've got all the security and adventure that you could want <clears throat> you may be lacking in significance and love and connection you may be lacking in growth or contribution so you'll focus on those things that's why you see you know, poor people are struggling, so they're trying to meet their needs as far as their consistency is concerned more than anything else because their life's hella inconsistent. Um, so you see them focusing on those needs, whereas someone that's a little more well-off, you will see them focusing more on the significance and love and connection. They go and they donate their time and their effort to, you know, to this nonprofit or that charity or whatever this cause or that cause, they you know they have the time and the space to 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 build loving loving relationships, connect with friends, you know, work on their relationships, blah, you know, they have the ability to go see a therapist or whatever, you know, a marriage counselor. Whereas if you're poor, like I said, you're struggling, um, you're hustling, you don't have time for that. You've got three jobs. Now, and then, I mean, look at it also. If you're extremely well off, those are the people that you see talking about growth and, you know, contribution. They're not just talking about, you know, they they, they donate money to charities. Hell, they, their whole business persona character that they play in life may be built around a non-profit or some kind of a charitable you know movement or fund or whatever but so they're you know you'll see them talking about oh you know be kinder to your fellow man because they can afford to they've got the time to do it they've got the luxury to be able to do it um <clears throat> You know, they're the ones that are talking about legacy and, oh, I'm going to donate clean water filtration systems to all the schools in Flint, Michigan, you know, that kind of shit. That's, that's what they do. Um, and, and so it's like I said, like depending on their, their environment, they're going to value certain things more than others. So in talking about all these values so that's like i said it, that's what begins to set our intentions because our intentions become emergent strategies of our priorities you know for our values so, so now can we unhook our value system from the circumstances around us from the environment so regardless of what's abundant or what's not abundant you know, all of these things are valuable. All of these things are priority. And regardless of the circumstances, I can develop my 
connection, I guess, my relationship to all these needs as they exist within me, as they exist outside of me. No real difference between the two, but let's make the distinction for conversational purposes. Can can in my in in the the pushing into my relationship with those values, with those needs, can I one not only determine that there is nothing outside of me that can satisfy those needs for me, and that it is solely my responsibility to satisfy those needs for myself. And in living through my values, in living through these common, these commonalities, these universal needs, that strangely enough, counterintuitively enough, you know, it, it sounds crazy to the to the to the religious, moral, secular, humanist mind that. If we were to let go of the mind and culture, that our very animal nature would do a better job at being a, you know, loving human being. Than the characters we portray in culture and society, than the than than what culture and society says we can do, like that our animal nature, that our our human biological form alone, just in operating quote unquote mindlessly, is more well adapted to navigate the current landscape than our mind is. That's you know that's a hard pill to swallow for most people, but. Can we trust that? Can we trust that in in the the depth of our relationship with who we are will give us the healing that we need one and set us on a path to where the intentions that we have one are uni- are universally concerned are are you know for the higher good if if you want to use that phrasing i'm not particularly fond of it because it creates a hierarchy but meh. um you will begin to make healthy decisions and your intentions will be healthy and the world that you create will be healthy because your body, the biology of who you are, is innately and intuitively designed to naturally gravitate towards that which is healthy and naturally shy away from that which is unhealthy, down to our cellular level. I mean, it's... This is, I mean, go and get any cell culture and put it in a Petri dish and put food in there and see what happens. Take that same culture, put it in a Petri dish with poison, see what happens. Do that with cultures of human cells. I mean, it's, it's 
it, it, it is, it's beyond common sense. It is natural. It's intuitive. Like we do it naturally. Hijacked by addictions, culture is an addiction, sugar is an addiction, grains and wheat are an addiction. Um, that's a whole other story. Anyways, so can we trust that in fully listening to who are who we are? I highly suggest a book on diet, even though it sounds like it has nothing to do with this, called uh, The Yoga of Eating by Charles Eisenstein. I'll probably recommend several of his books throughout the course of all of this because uh, I like him a lot. Um, but the yoga of eating basically says, you know, learn to listen to your body, learn to listen to what is actually your body saying, I need this and not your body saying I'm craving this, not your body saying I've been trained to want this, not your body saying, gimme, 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 cause I'm addicted. Um, and trusting that over, you know, ideology and diet and things like that. And I, and I think that that applies to not just eating, you know, it applies to every single last aspect of life is trust, listen to who you are, listen to your body, listen to your, you know, that still small voice, listen to your mind outside of being caught up in the content of your mind. Um, I mean, listen to your environment, listen to everything and not just the words that people are saying, but the fullness of it all. And generally speaking, You'll know what feels good and you'll know what feels, or let me rephrase that, you'll know what feels healthy and you'll know what feels unhealthy at some point. The more you train yourself to listen to what Buddha called those subtle energies, um, then you will start to learn, you know, that you are constantly being told where, where, where to move in order to, you know, to, to maintain health, where to move away from to you know, avoid poison. So anyways, so one of the things that, that I think that, uh, that sets this type of intention setting apart is that we're no longer sitting here going, Hey, I want a house. Now we may sit here and say, I want a house cause I, I want a house, but it's no longer about that. It becomes this idea where in the exploration of our values, in digging into these innate, intuitive drives that we have, that the intentions that we start to set will reflect those values and, and not only will it reflect those values, that, that we will proactively begin to limit ourselves, and I don't necessarily care for the word limit, but let's say focus through, using our values as a lens, focus through our intentions through our values so that they are, you know, our, our intentions and our values are, are almost... You know, this, they're, they're the same thing to some degree. Um, so, don't confuse 
strategies for meeting your needs to be your actual need. Um, you don't need Coca-Cola. You're addicted to high fructose corn syrup and you probably need water. So that gets translated as, yeah, I want a Coke. Um, and, and, and you can see those are, those are two separate things there and paying attention to those subtle energies. It then becomes more obvious that we're dealing with a body that needs water, a body that is giving off signals that say it needs water. And then a mind that specifically interprets and tags those feelings as I'm addicted to high fructose corn syrup. I need high fructose corn syrup. I need a Coke. And, and we train ourselves to look past that and, and, and to notice the fact that one, our feelings don't actually say things with words. Um, because they are physical sensations. They are not audible, you know, audio signatures, symbolisms that indicate metaphors, blah, 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 blah. I mean, these are literally that feeling of, oh, let's go towards this because it's food, or oh, let's go away from this because it's poison. Expansion or contraction, you know. Um, there's that feeling. There's all different kinds of flavors of expansion and contraction, but there's that generally that feeling of expansion and contraction, health and unhealthy. And so, then your mind labels that, depending on what it's being, what it's seeing in its environment. depending on the structure of its peacock tail and what it's needing to support in that peacock tail in that moment in order to be socially relevant. Beliefs about the world, about religion, I mean, all of that shit is filtered. And ultimately, the ideas that come to the top are what gets tagged to that physical sensation, that feeling. And we call that, I'm sad. She makes me mad. I want a Coke, you know, all those kind of things. Um, the reality is that she doesn't make you mad. Your mind is saying things about your experience. Your body's telling you whether or not either... The thing in the environment or the thoughts you're having about that environment are healthy or unhealthy if you're thinking that you're mad, unhealthy. So it feels that way. That creates a feedback loop. And we and it happens so quickly in such a small fragment of a second that we don't notice how it happens and that it's a feedback loop.
we just go, I feel angry. And she made me angry. We can break that cycle, of course. I highly suggest Nonviolent Communication by Marshall Rosenberg. He delves into a lot of this stuff. Not all of it. But he delves into a lot of this stuff. Delves into emotional responsibility. I also highly suggest listening to Abraham Hicks. Her talking about the emotional guidance system. Also, Bentinho Masaro talking about the emotional guidance system as well. Um, using that emotional guidance system, using that wisdom to parse through what our thoughts about the situation is and what our intuitive body is telling us about the situation, we can, in many ways, just let go of control and allow things to flow. Fall and you know, just follow what feels healthy. Now, those of us that don't know how to do that like to have that spelled out for us. Also, those of us that have never done it before are scared of it because we've been trained to rationalize everything that we do, which is incredibly irrational for one, and two. Well, look at how that's, you know, worked out for us so far. And so they like to have this, you know, what is, what is, what is trusting, you know, what is letting go feel like? And what does that look like procedurally? What is this a process? And yes, it is a process, but honestly, when it all boils down to it, the, the, the really, the only process is to just get out of your own fucking way and listen to your body. Um, or just let it do its thing. Um, that's not to say don't think about things. I'm just saying you've been trained to think about things in a certain way and it's not do you doing you any good. Obviously. So, trusting that our body, which is just as much a part of the mind as the brain is. Our body is constantly working towards meeting our needs. Our subconscious is constantly working towards meeting our needs. And it exists in some ways outside of the time-space continuum. Um... I would refer you to several different works I like. Uh, oh, gosh, I've got names. Anthony Peake, his work on the Daemon and the Adelos is really good. Um, I think he's... I don't necessarily agree with him on everything at all, but his his breakdown of the way that there seems to be two aspects of consciousness... Um, and their interrelationship and all that kind of stuff. And he names one aspect of consciousness as the demos. And he makes the argument that, you know, this is something that's been known since antiquity. Um, and 
we've just ignored it, I guess, in our time. Um, but that this aspect of ourselves has access to information, maybe uh, experiences that are outside of the current stream of space-time. Um, and, you know, take that for what you want. Uh, and that it's, you know, it's always looking out for us. So, if it's always looking out for us, and it has access to outside of space-time continuum, that the linearly bound ego mind has no control over that. It can't, it can't jump out of our time, space-time continuum, not on its own. Um, and so we're trusting that. And, I mean, it does a lot of good for us. It builds a lot of things. It's very analytical. It's a good bureaucrat. All that good stuff. But, left to its own devices, the gods have left us, by the way, or at least that's what we believe. <coughs> we wind up with a world that looks like a big fuckwater bureaucracy. <clears throat> when when we let go of that we start to see that you know the, the body and again I, I in the body I include the brain so I'm not I'm not trying to exclude the mind at all I just think that at the moment the vast majority of us our minds have been programmed in a way that works against the body as a whole. The mind, though, being a an emergent property of certain aspects of the computational analysis that the body, specifically the brain, more than likely you know, does for us. Like, that's programmed by culture and society, and it fucks us. It fucks us big time. So, that is not to say you kill the ego. I'm not a fan of the, the, the a lot of people in the New Age, especially, are really into the whole kill the ego thing. I'm not a fan of that. I think that, it, one, that that's impossible to do. Um, you're just uninstalling certain programming um, and using it differently. How you choose to use it differently is entirely up to you and the belief systems that you install. Ramana Maharshi probably installed a great deal of shit, but he still had a lot of Hindu shit installed in him. Probably why he sat on the side of a mountain in a diaper for most of his life. Had he been born in the U.S., he probably would look a lot different. He'd probably look more like fucking, I don't know, like Eckhart Tolle or somebody like that. Um, Ram Das, who knows. Um, but even a lot of these spiritual teachers will tell you, you know, it's not necessarily about killing the ego. You, you want to love it in the sense. Uh, I think, for me personally, I found that when conflict arises, when negative emotion arises, when unhealthy feelings arise, I 
have made a practice of some sort to bring my focus to the fact that my body is telling me that my experience, be that my outward experience or my inner experience, is pointed in an unhealthy direction. And what that tends to do is is really feel into and, and pay attention to the thoughts that are coming up in that moment and seeing how the interplay between my thoughts and my sensations is really is is my spirit, my body, my you know intuition telling me that my thoughts don't feel good. And it's over time it is it has started, you know, there are certain thoughts that are stickier than others, but it has definitely started to unhitch my thoughts from that right or wrong story that, you know, the, the worldly story into a, well, if these thoughts are unhealthy, what thoughts are healthy? And slowly, surely moving my way from that place of unhealthy thoughts into healthy thoughts. Uh, uh, Abraham Hicks is really good about that. If you want to go look into how to like, you know, work with like, I don't want to use the term positive self-talk, but like how to understand the movement from one emotion to an emotional state to another and how to use the intellect, the, the, the ego mind to work with the body mind and move in that direction of, uh, healthy behaviors, healthy thoughts, healthy emotional states. Um, she uses it a lot of times in the context of manifestation, which we can get to all that. Um, but I really wanted to hone in, like I said, on today on, on values one and how we, how we follow those values, how we listen to those values in our lives, how our body specifically is always telling us whether we're in alignment with our values or not. If you're in alignment with your values, you're doing things that are life-giving, you're doing things that are healthy, your body is going to feel healthy. If you're not living your values, you're going to be feeling things that aren't healthy. If your intentions are about trying to make you feel better because your life is shitty, it's because you're not living in alignment with your values. So explore that. Your intentions will then, be, the more you feel into that, your intentions will then align themselves with your values and you'll start to see what you're intending manifest. The problem that most of us have is we go into this with intentions that are of mixed vibrations, so to speak. Um... And we're trying to manifest things that aren't in alignment with our values. And a lot of times we'll get those things, but they fucking suck or we don't want them after a while. We want more, 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 more because we're still trying to manipulate and move things through the ego mind. Um, so feel like I, I highly suggest going through Marshall Rosenberg's work, um, there are videos on YouTube of his stuff. Uh, it, it is, in my opinion, the a masterpiece for one. His his body of work is 
I mean, it is going to be one of those things that is going to live into, you know, it, he, he left a great legacy. Let's just put it that way. It's going to live for quite a long time because I think it, it, it will be an invaluable tool in the shifting into the new paradigm that we all keep talking about. Um, and, uh, I don't know. I think that you would get a lot from it and it will, it changed my life. Let's put it that way. It totally changed how I look at who I am and how I relate to my emotions and how my emotions relate to other people. Emotional responsibility. It's a big thing. It will totally change the dynamic in your relationships. Um, I think it's the best thing that you can ever have as part of a, you know, a healthy partnership with another person. Um, if you're going to have a long-term romantic relationship, read this book, watch his videos. Um, get in touch with me. I have stuff of his on, you know, in my, in my, uh, in my Google drive. If, uh, if you want access to it. So anyways, um, let's, uh, tomorrow, um, I want to start talking about, you know, moving, you know, we've set this foundation of, you know, of values based living. So, Moving from that, let's say, when we go to set our intentions, is it what we want? One. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's, you know, see, it sounds like a simple question, but it's not really. Is it what we, what we want? What we truly want? Is it going to meet our needs? You know, all that kind of stuff. And does it live our values? Does it fit into that you know, dance of meeting my needs and it being healthy for me and healthy for my environment and healthy for my relationships. Cause ultimately that's, what's healthy for me is for my environment to be healthy anyways. So, and, and, and through that lens, we'll start to, to work on the, the, the idea of, of, of setting intentions and what those intentions can look like and what, what the language of those intentions are what, what does that practice look like um you're along that ride with me um we're gonna see how this plays itself out um today was definitely considerably longer than yesterday but uh yeah let's see let's see how this keeps going all right